0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and 97.5 HD2, part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, have you recovered from uh, Thanksgiving festivities?
1: From the L-tryptophan, Of course I have.
0: Yeah, okay, so I got a question about that. Okay, yeah. it's not really sports related. Why do adults get very tired after eating turkey? But my kids had more energy after eating that turkey than
1: anything. <laughs> it's probably not from the turkey. What else did they have? I assume there was sugar somewhere involved. Oh, yeah. There was,
0: there. Well, there's always
1: plenty of oh, sugar well, around. Oh, well, sugar, sh- sh- when you're younger, sugar takes overtakes L-tryptophan. Yeah. Uh, there's it, no question about it. So, it didn't, so if there was chocolate and candy, they're buzzing. It doesn't it, matter. It I didn't mean, overtake it. By the it way, how much, when you were a kid, how much turkey did you eat when there was candy and cake and pie around? No, see, I was always a stuffing kid. I was a stuffing okay. corn player. Well, there you go. So I,
0: that, that was my thing. I could have a whole meal on that. Anyway, uh, are you a Thanksgiving football guy? Did you watch the game? Y- so I can ask y- if you watch Thursday football?
1: Correct. So this is the one time during the football season. You believe you it's appropriate to play football on Thursdays? And you can ask <laughs> me and I will actually answer yes to did I watch football. What did you think of the football that you watched yesterday? They were good games. You know, it's nice to have games that are close instead of like blowout games, which is usually how Thursday goes. And it was actually teams that have playoff chances and playoff implications. So so since they're good games, I mean, it's a great day of football, sitting around with family and friends and talking. I mean, it couldn't be better. Football and Thanksgiving just go together.
0: Were you surprised to see uh, Buffalo come back on Detroit? That was the least surprising thing of
1: the day. Who who was Buffalo
0: playing? Detroit. Detroit made a good game, though. TJ Hawkinson. But
1: but, but as somebody who lived outside of Detroit for four years, I can tell you that even the people of Detroit and Michigan know that their team stinks, and they've known that they stink for decades. It's not like they're going through like an up and down period. Detroit has always been Detroit when it comes to football, even when they had how many times did Barry Sanders even make the playoffs when they had that electric running back, or how many times did Calvin Johnson make the playoffs? When he was with the Lions, they're just horrible. They're the Lions. They're probably the worst team in, in the NFL in the last 30, 40 years.
0: And then the rest of the games during the day did not help the Eagles in terms of where things stand. Dallas beating the Giants. I was actually rooting for the Giants yesterday, Jeff. Good for you. I was there doing so it. So was I. Yeah, it didn't happen. <laughs> I see I see why that's a painful experience for you.
1: Well, the Giants, half of their team is now on the disabled list or injured list. So and what's if they're the not difference?
0: there already, they're on their way there every exactly. time you guys play. Yeah.
1: And, and Daniel Jones is not the answer there. So they can just put that that to rest now.
0: You've been saying that for
1: a while, that he wasn't the answer. You, you didn't
0: yeah. think that he was ever the
1: guy there. Uh, No, but the Giants are going to be in a position where they're going to be drafting in the middle of the round. So unless there's a quarterback left, what else are you going to do? Daniel Jones train.
0: There you go. And then at night, Kirk Cousins did the Kirk Cousins thing. Uh, It will never not pain me that we took uh, Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson. Wait, time out here. What do you mean he did the Kirk Cousins thing? They won. He plays better on weekday primetime games, I believe is how it goes. It's no, the... yeah,
1: but, but the, the, my favorite thing is that people call him solar-powered because he, does, <laughs> he, he doesn't does... play well at night. No, he and, generally doesn't. I don't does came it. up with that, but it's one of the great references in sports. He generally doesn't, but it's got to be
0: hard not to play well when you have Justin Jefferson on the field. Man, is he good at football. A- and Adam Thielen. Yeah. And Alvin Cook. And TJ yeah. Hawkinson, and Alvin- who finally got a win on Thanksgiving because he played yeah. for the Lions all those years and didn't actually get to win a football game.
1: You know what? I think they should let the losers eat the turkey after the game.
0: Okay. I don't the think the winners that,
1: got the win. The losers should at least get some turkey.
0: I don't think NBC got what they were looking for when Adam Thielen said the turkey was dry <laughs> in the first post game
1: <laughs> post-game turkey legs. Well, how, how long had it been sitting there? <laughs>
0: Apparently, long enough that it got dry. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it was a fun day of football yesterday. Again, didn't help the Eagles who. Go into this weekend playing on Sunday night against the Packers. They are nine and
1: one. Against after... poor Aaron Rodgers and his boo boo thumb. <laughs> I was going to ask you, uh, what was okay? So
0: what actually, a coincidence! Did you, did the you see how it came out that he had a broken thumb? I have no idea. The Daniel Snyder lead? <laughs> no, it was apparently like a Make a Wish kid or Make a Wish person asked him about his thumb. And then Why? went and put it out there. Cause Why? I guess his thumb had been hurting. I he wasn't on the injured report with a broken thumb, but I think he was on the injured report because that would raise other questions in terms of gambling and are you disclosing injuries.
1: No, I believe he was on the injured report. But that's what I'm saying. He yeah. was. It didn't right. say
0: a broken thumb, but it said like some um, type of something. But apparently he's got a broken thumb. He'll give it a go Sunday night. The Eagles will- right hand boo-boo. The Very right-hand of boo-boo. That. The Eagles yes. will break out their all-black, all-black, black, 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 black uniforms that they've mm-hmm. never had before with the black helmets. Jeff, we get black helmets before I get my green helmets. And, it
1: are. and they're doing this in, in a night game. They are. It, it, look, it
0: should be loud, and people should be into it. They're a 9-1 team. What's not to get into? They, they look lackluster for the first three quarters last week, came back to win 17-16 after being down 13-3 going into the fourth quarter. They lost 43 consecutive games by trailing by 10 points or more going into the fourth quarter on Sunday. Um, look, the team is still, it has flaws, it has injuries, like any team in the NFL, but they're a 9-1 team. You, you can't really criticize them that much. The game started with me worried about the defense stopping the run They gave up like 47 yards rushing on the first drive, and then overall ended up giving 75 yards total. So they averaged seven yards a a rush to Jonathan Teller on the first drive, only 2.3 the final 10. They figured something out there. Clearly, Dallas Goddard not being there is a loss for them on offense,
1: but can
0: this team keep pushing through it, Jeff? They're
1: 9-1. With with the teams that they have to play, yeah, they can keep pushing through it. And they have a big enough cushion. They're in the playoffs. That's not a problem.
0: And the fact that they brought in Linval Joseph and Dominican Sue definitely helped in terms of the rotation. Fletcher Cox only had uh, 48 total snaps. He had 73 snaps the week before. He, he can't have 73 snaps. They brought in another big body today. I mean, Hassan Reddick and Javon Hargrave are the first Eagles teammates with seven or more sacks 10 games into the season since 1991. So his defense is doing things for as much as I – Criticize at times and I'm uncomfortable by them giving up lots of yards the stats say my eyes are wrong and my feeling is wrong okay
1: like (laughs) I don't know I mean
0: you tell me not to be critical with the team no
1: I didn't say you're usually not critical you're worried there's a difference you're 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 an Eagles fan so you're always worried I I don't see you as being critical of the Eagles I don't hear that a lot worried okay yeah better word yeah, weird. sky is falling kind of on
0: my Saints watch. Any Philadelphia sports team on my Saints watch. Unfortunately, the Saints won last week. They now. You know, I was just
1: going to say this is the longest you've gone when we talk about. They the, now hold the tenth. The the Eagles now pick. hold
0: the tenth pick in the draft. Thanks to the
1: Saints, way to screw that up, New Orleans. Mm-hmm.
0: Jeff, leave let's leave the football there. Um we're gonna go to some best of some of our favorite interviews, John Dorenbos and the Bacon brothers in a minute, but I, I wanted to talk Phillies for a minute. Bryce Harper had some surgery this week.
1: That's what you want to talk about? I do. Well the, you tell the me which game, you want game to talk is tomorrow. About. The game is tomorrow.
0: Okay. I, I will ask you real fast. Your yes. concern level of Bryce Harper coming back. To play meaningful baseball before the midpoint of the season, now that he had he's, Tommy Johnson.
1: He won't be back before the All Star break. Yeah. If he it's, is, it's gravy. Everybody should just assume he's not going to be. They're going to have. What to, I don't understand is why it took so long to have the surgery.
0: I I didn't get that either. I, I texted you the other day. I'm like, wasn't he supposed to have the surgery? And we didn't hear anything about it, but we'll see. Hopefully it gets better. All right, Jeff. The game is tomorrow. Uh, Will you be on edge? Do you get yes. worried playing Ohio State? Yes. Because they like retooled their whole defense to try and stop your run this year. So it's a question of whether they can do that. How healthy is your running back going into the game? Well,
1: that's the problem. If Blake Coram doesn't play, they have no chance whatsoever. Blake Coram is the X factor in this game.
0: Okay. Uh, How confident do you feel if he does play going into the game? Because it's set up for you guys to be in the final four. I still don't
1: feel that confident. So you're like me as an Eagles fan. This is at the shoe. Okay. Okay. And this is after Michigan thumped them last year. And this is with their Heisman Trophy quarterback. So I don't see Michigan winning this game, but I do see this game being close. You never see Michigan winning. Sure I, am I wrong?
0: Do you, do, you, do you like regularly feel that Michigan... No, I see them win?
1: winning when they play Rutgers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there are so many words I'd like to use right now to respond to you, but it's the season of giving, and I won't do that. Uh, I will not be very concerned about any Rutgers games tomorrow. It is fun this time of year, though. All these rivalry games that they have. I watched a the Egg Bowl last night. Lane Kiffin, whether or not he'll actually be leaving Old Miss, which he says he's not, according to reporters. We'll see if he ends up at Auburn. Hey, um, because did, he's so loyal as a coach. Did you see that Colorado's considering uh, Deion Sanders?
1: Yes, I did. And people in Colorado are very excited.
0: I'm sure they are. Something for your son to watch out there. Jeff, why don't we leave it there? Let's go to our first interview with John Dorenbos, then we'll hit the break and come back with the Bacon Brothers. Stick with us. Making his return to South Philadelphia, a former NFL player, magician, author, motivational speaker, somebody we're honored to join us. You can see him this Saturday night, October 1st at Live Casino. Welcome to the show, former Eagle John Dorenbos.
2: Yeah, baby. Thank you so much for having me. If
0: you get any more titles, I'm going to have to like cut the interview after the intro at this point. What's it like uh, to come back to the city where you had so much success performing as a pro player with all these additional talents
2: and and names now? Anytime I get to come back to Philly, I love it. Uh, The the fan base and I, I've loved every second of it. You know, uh, somebody asked me recently, they're like, how would you describe the Philly fan base and uh, the relationship that you had with them? Uh, So here's what happened is I ended up having open heart surgery. Uh, My wife and I went back to Philly. We had the surgery at university of penn we're staying at our south philly condo and for a while we would go out and just get mocked people had questions concerned get it so then we went to bar amis at the uh the navy yard and we're sitting there and nobody's talking to us like it was like i was a nobody it was great i had my heart pillow because if you cough or you laugh you have to balance the pressure so your sternum doesn't pop up. and uh nobody bothers us we eat i'm on a bunch of meds i gotta shuffle my feet i'm super weak and as we stepped off the patio and we started walking to our car one guy stood up two people, then three, then four, then people came out of the restaurant and gave me the slow clap. So I turn around and I start, you know, I was emotional at the time so I start crying. We get in our car, we wave, we drive away, and as we drive around, the whole restaurant came out and they were cheering and, and going nuts. So I love Philly. I love the Philly fans. I love that wherever I go in the country, if I do a theater show, it's 40% Eagle fans. I love that if the long snapper has just got a regular hat backwards and a hoodie, walking in the Dallas airport, there is an Eagles fan that will do the Eagles chant. Down the terminal of the airport and then go go magic man like <laughs> It's awesome, man.
1: All right. So I got to ask the question because you brought up the long snap. Philadelphia, Andy Reid, when he interviewed for the job as Eagles head coach, spent a half hour during his interview talking about the importance of the long snap. Between Andy Reid is the perfect coach for you and this city, is there any place that a long snapper could be more appreciated than the city
2: of Philadelphia? No, my timing worked out pretty good on that whole scenario, didn't it? <laughs> it worked out real nice for me. And and playing for Coach Reid was one of the highest highlights of my career you know he was definitely a guy that's like I'd rather just pay the kid and and not go cheap and not worry and so he gave me an opportunity to work through the kinks he believed in me and uh, to this day I'd run I'd run through a brick wall for that guy
1: what's the thing that you remember most about playing for Andy
2: oh man treat you to a cheeseburger after every meeting hey guys All right. Hey, we got a great game today. Didn't matter what city. Give me a city. Whatever. Oakland. We're playing the Raiders. Hey, guys, we got a great game. Here's the keys to success. And uh, look, I know a lot of people might not know this about Oakland, but they got pretty good cheeseburgers. So uh, I'm going to treat you to a cheeseburger. Let's go. You wait, wait, yeah. wait, wait. hold on. You didn't have a cheeseburger in Philly, did you? Oh, you have to oh, we, oh yeah. We, we we have cheeseburgers every night before games. Instead of cheesesteaks? Oh, <laughs> well, they, they would have cheesesteaks as the option. His, <laughs> his, 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 his big sign-off was they treat you to a cheeseburger. No, you you know what the one thing I really loved about Andy Reid is he valued you as a person. He valued you as an individual. And so he, hear me out. I signed with the Eagles. Coach Reid comes up to me and goes, come here, kid. You want to go home, go home. You want to run, run. You want to work out, work out. You want to snap, go snap. If it's not there on Sunday, you're fired. Be a pro. And I looked at him and I said, coach. I think you and I are going to get along. So, and, and what I mean by that is, is not everybody works the same way, right? Not everybody needs to do the same drills. Not everybody needs to run the same amount. We're all pros. And so he valued that and gave you your freedom to be an adult and to to handle yourself as a pro and get ready the way you needed to get ready. And I really, I really respected that.
0: Well, and in terms of your life experiences, being valued like that by your coach, you ended up writing about your, your life and your journey in the book, Life is Magic. Can you talk about how you sort of had a roadmap for shutting down that self-doubt and being able to perform wherever you are, whether it's on the field or in the boardroom when you speak to people or doing magic on stage.
2: yeah, so so my book was really a, a, a lifelong journey that, that sometimes we don't even know that we're we're in the heat of it, right? And so, Uh, When I was 12 years old, my father murdered my mother, and my sister and I went into temporary foster care and went through really intense therapy. And then we eventually moved in with my aunt, who was my mom's sister. And in the therapy, there were three three things that we focused on. It was come to terms with your reality, accept it, right? Find forgiveness. And when you find happiness, you grab onto that puppy and you never let go. And so here we are at different stages of our life. The plan might not always go as planned, but the sooner we come to terms with our reality, the sooner we accept it, the sooner that we can find the positive, the sooner that we can find forgiveness, the sooner we can find happiness the sooner we can make the best of the situation we're in. And so what I learned is that in life, it's very, very simple. If you show up every day on time, prepared, and ready to work, in whatever it is you do, you know what I learned about the world? If you don't give up on the world, the world will not give up on you. If you give up on yourself, the world's going to give up on you. So don't ever give up. Keep standing up. And it's what I loved most about Philly too, right? It's the whole Rocky thing. Just keep standing up. Doesn't matter how hard you get hit, just keep standing up. And I find that the athletes that do that, that don't point fingers, that don't blame other people, that take some sense of accountability, and they keep standing up no matter how hard they get hit, and they keep working, and they keep showing up, and they keep improving, the city loves them. And so my book is just that. How do we find happiness? How do we continue to persevere? How do we continue to grow? How do we continue to not only that, but be excited about the obstacles? How do we find motivation to defeat? How do we rewrite our script in our life? And it's all with the words that we, that the story we tell ourselves in our own head. Uh, And ultimately the book, uh, look, I wanted to see my dad for a long time, but nothing in life stemmed action. And so uh, I ended up getting married and my wife got pregnant. And when my wife was pregnant, I realized there's three words I've never said out loud. I've never said, I forgive you out loud. And so my ultimate journey led to 27, 28 years later, sitting down with my dad for five and a half hours and saying, I forgive you for being really, really lost. And I forgive you for making a really big mistake. It was my journey to be a better dad than what I had. It was my journey to not let my past be an excuse. And it was my journey to be okay with where I come from and to be okay with the things that have happened in my life because I've learned from it. And I'm not who I was 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, and and even two weeks ago. And I try and be this much better every single day. And so I forgave my dad so that I could be the dad that I never had to my little girl. And that has been by far my, my the love of my life and, and the best job I've ever had is being a dad.
1: You know, your story, even just in isolation, just with what you just told is an inspiration, but it seems like you feel compelled or you think it's important to also give back and be able to help other people who have gone through something similar. What motivates you to use the platform that you've been given or that you've earned as a football player, as a magician, as a speaker, to go in and try to help other
2: people. You know, so I got into speaking in 2003. Uh, there was a speaker named Kevin Elko, who's a, a big time speaker in the financial service industry, was coming through the Bills facility and was doing an event there. And he's also a sports psychologist. And he said, this is what he said, I love this too. This is like, this is how I got into speaking. He goes, uh, hey, you're a long snapper, right? He goes, yeah, you're the magician, right? He goes, yeah. Hey, you know that little pencil trick you do? Yeah, you know, stupid little pencil trick with the dollar bill and the pencil. And I was like, I mean, I think it's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, okay, do that. And tell your story of how you got into college. And so I did that. And that was the first kind of speaking thing I ever did. Best advice I ever got. After that, Kevin came up to me and said, all right, listen, kid, uh, here's the deal. You could do all the magic you want, but you're not a magician. You need to be a speaker. And then he groomed me over time. And what happens is once you start doing it and and you share some vulnerability on stage and you start telling your story, I learned that I'm not telling my story so that people can just hear my story. I tell my story because there's certain points that people reflect on their own life and they can think of the decisions they made and they can reflect And they can figure out where they can be better or where they need to have uh, some forgiveness or where they need to be okay with things that have happened to them. And then sure enough, after you're done speaking, I get it all. People come up to me and be like, hey, I was molested. I was raped. Uh, My my dad uh, killed my brother. My my mom did this. And I was like, you know, I was an alcoholic dad. I I used to beat my own kids. I haven't talked to my son in 20 years. I just called him for the first time and said, I'm sorry. Um, I had a lady that uh, after a show had a bracelet that nelson mandela gave her and it had his prison number embroidered in it and she said i think it's time i pass this on to you and i was like wow Wow. so you start doing these things and you start seeing the way that people react um and you start feeling like maybe this is my purpose is that maybe me sharing my story helping other people is is why i'm here and so uh, i want to say this too because this is something really really cool that got brought up when we were writing the book, and. A lot of people, when something happens, they feel like the world's kicking them down. They feel like the world's jumping on top of them. They feel like they can't breathe. The world's suffocating them. If it's not one thing or it's another, and they start making excuses, right? They start becoming the victim. For as long as I can remember, I've never felt that. When something happens to me in the little pretend world that I live up in here, the world's always been cheering. So anytime the world knocked me down, I literally felt like the whole world's cheering me on to stand up. So stand up. Like you're in the middle of the arena, the world's cheering, chanting your name right now. You have to stand up, stand up. And it's a difference of, of perception, it's a difference of the story we tell ourselves. But for me, no matter how hard life gets or whatever obstacle I've been faced with, it's not the world ganging up on me, it's just the world testing me, and then the crowd's cheering me to stand up. And, and I do
0: what does it mean to you to be that light in the darkness for all these different people that you come across having walked through those dark days yourself?
2: It's intense, man. Um, you know, with. Uh, with great respect comes great responsibility. I just want to keep being true to who I am I want to keep being true to the magic that I love and and the show that I love and I feel like if I do that, then good things will happen. and in, in and in time you affect people in a very positive way it's uh, it's one of the biggest compliments ever i mean like i said when people come up after my show i get everything and you know to hear somebody that says i haven't talked to my dad in 30 years i just called him and the first thing he said is i'm sorry as soon as he picked up the phone he said i'm sorry and you know maybe it's time that i let go of some things because i haven't been perfect either. Um, you know, so forgiveness is, is it's not, you know, for me, it's not, it's not you win, I lose, I'm waving the white flag, right? And let's go be buddies. I'm okay with what you did. Ha, 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 fist bump, let's move on. So for me, forgiveness was nothing more than this. And check this out. If you can either relate or know somebody that will directly relate to this, two people are married, they get divorced. One goes on and lives their merry life, never looks back. The other keeps living and is bitter and resentful and constantly talking about this other person that has gone every day of their life happiness. One lives in vision, one lives in service. So to me, the idea of forgiveness was I'm going to take a step in my life where somebody that's no longer in my life is going to affect my life. Think about that. How many people go through life when somebody no no longer in their life is affecting their life in a negative way? So when I went and forgave my dad, it was me basically saying that little ball of anger and resentment and bitterness that I've been holding on to for a long time, it's gone. I don't care anymore. I hope you're doing great things. I don't care if you're out of prison. I don't care. I, it doesn't matter to me. You're not in my life anymore. And I'm going to be everything that I never had. And peace out. When I left that, that, that lunch that we had, it was symbolic. I literally took a step. And it was like the first step of my new life. So don't look at forgiveness as winning and losing. Look at it as releasing yourself, freeing yourself, and not living in bitter and angerness and resentment.
1: You know, you went through this whole journey. But when you were 12, that journey started with a tragedy, but led to you doing magic which is why you're in Philadelphia this weekend. What led you to magic and, and what led you to, to become as good as you are? You 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 appeared on America's Got Talent. You were a finalist on, on a pretty amazing show with people doing all sorts of crazy things. What led you and motivated you to be as good at magic as you were as a long snap?
2: So it's funny because I think when I got into magic... I didn't get into it to be a magician. So I was 12, 13 years old living. uh, I had just uh, left the temporary foster home. I was living with a little league baseball coach because I made the all-star team. And their neighbor was Michael Gross, who was a 16 year old magician. And he did a few tricks. And I thought it was unbelievable. So what happens is he takes me down and we learn a few, he takes me to the magic shop, I learn a few tricks. What I figured out is that if I sat in a corner and shuffled cards, it's the only time in my childhood that the world quieted. The sound of the riffle was the only time I felt like I was just a kid. And I wasn't thinking about losing not just one parent, but both and the foster and moving and my dad going to prison. And, and I, I just, I would shuffle and get lost. And I wanted to get lost in being a kid as much as I possibly could. And so I would learn these moves. You know, uh, it's funny because when, when I started dabbling in the guitar and, and when I started playing, I was like, okay, like literally first day, all right, how does, how, how does Hendrix play? How does Mayer play? How does Eric Clapton play? How does Stevie Ray Vaughan play? First things I ever learned were like Clapton solos. And so when I did card stuff, I was like, who's the best in the world? All right, let's do his stuff. And so, and then I taught myself my own technique. And then all of a sudden you do this for years and years and years and years, y- you hope that you would get pretty good at something right after you spend this much time. And so then all of a sudden you kind of come into your personality. Right, And then I was the kid in high school who showed up at a little get together and all of a sudden it was like, oh, I can do a card trick. And then it's like, you just like regurgitate like 10 years of like being obsessed with, you know, having this lonely childhood. It's like, okay, so you take card tricks a lot more seriously than the other kids. You know (laughs) what I mean? So, um, and that's kind of how it happened. And then as I just progressed, life just took me on a stream where, um, you know, the other thing I'm really thankful for is I had a mentor named Ken Sands who he taught me tricks, but he also taught me that the magic trick's not the end-all, be-all, right? If you do a trick and you're looking for that to be the end-all, be-all, you're going to get a golf clap. But if you can get people to care about who you are, why you're there, and what you're doing, then you can make a coin disappear in an arena and get a standing ovation. Uh, and then we don't need another David Copperfield. So don't be them. Be you. And so sure enough, when I did America's Got Talent, that was like a platform for me to kind of show – the magic world, who I am and what I stand for, and what my style is all about. And you know, look, look, here's the reality you got like your Star Warsian people, and then your Star Trekian people. And then below all of that are magicians. We are the dorkiest of the tour. We take the cake on all that, right? So it's been cool to kind of bring a little swag to to that kind of uh, genre of stuff.
0: It seems like in addition to being entertaining, magic is sort of your gateway to storytelling. What's it like to do magic before an arena of people after playing in front of stadiums where you're on a team? Now the spotlight's on you on the stage in a packed house. What's that like?
2: Uh, it's rockstar, man. It's, it's rockstar. It's everything I've ever dreamed of. Look, I want—I wanted to be a rock star, but I can't sing, I can't dance, and I can't play an instrument that well, right? So check that off the box. You know, so we—so
1: we don't have to add musician the next time we introduce.
2: You know what? I can Adam, I can Adam Sandler it right I can play I, I can play some riffs and and sing some funny songs I got you there but other than that
0: no. that sounds like a whole nother show for you
2: <laughs> yeah right exactly <laughs> um, so here's a funny story so I'm in junior college and I had a chance to play baseball and it was baseball and football and baseball was just too slow so I was like all right let's go football because I wanted to play in front of a hundred thousand people right uh, and baseball wasn't gonna happen so all of a sudden I go to UTEP first games Oklahoma's 98,612 people first game oh so so close, close. <laughs> but not a hundred <laughs> All right, so now check this out. I don't play in front of a hundred thousand people until Dallas builds their new stadium. So now I'm with the Eagles. We go to Dallas, and look, we play Kentucky, Alabama, Texas AM, and but none of them were hundred thousand. And so, sure enough, I get to Dallas, and I'm like, oh my gosh! I look at Donnie Jones, the point. I'm like, Donnie, do you have any idea what this is? He's like, no, what's up? And Donnie played at LSU, so he was like, it's like another Tuesday for him, right? So I go, there's a hundred thousand people here. He goes, yeah. I go, do you have any idea how cool that is? He goes, yeah. <laughs> so, so now all of a sudden, I'm in the tunnel. I'm the first one to run out. And I can't wait because I've been dreaming of the moment. I run out in front of a hundred thousand people and they go, well, Donnie and I ran out of the tunnel together and it was in my head, they were cheering, but in Dallas, I had 107,000 people booing me. Right. (laughs) So I get to the star and I'm standing on the star and I'm like this in an away stadium. I'm going like this. Right. And Donnie's like, what are you doing? I'm like, bro, in my head, they were cheering, but they're booing right now. And it's also (laughs) cool. Just take it in, take it in. All right, let's go. He's like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, don't worry about it. I'll tell you later. but hey anytime you can you can get that rockstar feeling right anytime you can be on stage and just feel the i'm an energy guy right and i and i think about this too not just the energy from stage but i think the way you view yourself the way you talk to yourself it's the same way you're going to view the world it's the same way you're going to talk about the world so if you can harness this energy and create this energy in an arena in a theater in an auditorium wherever it is man it's rockstar and it's 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 totally addicting it's it's like it's like being an adrenaline junkie without having to do roller coasters and all that right and then all of a sudden, everybody leaves my show feeling good about life, dude. That's a fun day at work, man.
1: It must be just a completely different feeling. As a football player, you may be in front of a hundred thousand people, but you have a helmet on. You're you're kind of anonymous, especially as somebody who's playing on a line. And then all of a sudden, you have no mask on. You have Until no you protection. <laughs> yeah, you have no. Yeah, right. You have no protection from from the world and that booing and things like that. Is when you first started doing to these large groups of people, was there any part of you that was intimidated by it?
2: Uh, no, actually, excited. Intimidated is the wrong word. I was excited. Uh, and here's something else, too. When, when you're in the NFL, especially now with how big sports betting has gotten, uh, I've, I've witnessed it. Death threats are real. Uh, I, I've seen players and, and coaches escorted home by FBI agents put into full bodyproof, uh, uh, you know, like, uh, bulletproof outfits um so you, you mess up in a game and you and affect spreads and, and betting the wrong people get involved you get death threats right uh you mess up in a show and i miss your card oh nobody cares you push on don't ask me about it later we all have a good chuckle and we move on like what's Nobody's the worst fantasy gonna... team lost oh.
0: because your card trick went wrong
2: yeah my oh yeah or i'll tell you what i had like 12 i had i had a lot of surgeries when i played believe it or not and so, like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? I get a paper cut. <laughs> like, it's like, this is, this is great, guys. What could, I mean, what could go wrong? You know what I mean? It's easy. Mm. It's easy.
0: So then you, you know, if I understand right, you combined your love of cards with your ability to come across a lot of celebrities now. Is it true that you get an autograph of every famous yeah. person that you perform with on playing cards and hanging up in your house?
2: Yeah. So um, I was never, like, an autograph collector it was more than memory. I, I was a memory collector. And so every celeb or person I played with, they've, they've signed playing cards. And so in my house, it's not even so much eight by tens, right? It's all playing cards signed by all these people that I've, I've come across the way. Um, my favorite. So I wanted to meet three people, right? I was a fan of Garth Brooks, Jay Leno, Adam Sandler. Those are the three. Uh, 2003 Garth Brooks has a foundation called teammates for kids and it's for athletes to partner up with them. And I get invited and I was like, Oh my gosh. So I do magic for Garth Brooks, flipping out. Martin. So then Garth, we're at the Mirage in Las Vegas. Garth Brooks says this to me, John, you gotta come meet a friend of mine. I was like, yeah, let's go. We go into the next room. Garth Brooks introduces me to Jay Leno. Yeah. My mind just goes, <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, right? So I got to meet those two rock star. And then Adam Sandler was coming through Philly and he was doing a show at the Tower Theater. Uh, and his guy called me and said, hey, Sandler's kids are fans of yours from AGT. He'd love to see some tricks. Do you wanna come backstage? What? <laughs> So you know, I really magic led me to Garth Brooks, Jay Leno, and Adam Sandler—the three people I always wanted to meet. So, uh, but yeah, that's what I do. If, and, and you know what's really cool? Some, some there are some celebs that don't like to sign, right? And there are people that don't want to ask the celebrity for autographs because they don't want to make it weird. Well, when you're the football playing magician guy doing card tricks, it's always okay to ask for a signature. Always.
1: <laughs> who's who's the uh, obviously those three were the ones you wanted autographs from. Who's the one? That just came up to you out of the blue that you just you just went wow i can't believe this person's asking me
2: this happens uh i am at utep and i have a qmb class which is what quantitative math of business so i had a qmb test coming up but i was leaving for my first uh my first workout with the bills like my first minicamp so i leave utep i'm going to buffalo i land at the hotel my phone rings hey john jim kelly of course it is i'm in buffalo jim kelly why wouldn't it be right Hey, I'm having an event. Coach Williams said you can come. I'm picking you up in the morning. You cool with that? Bring some cards. We're excited to see the Magic Man. No problem. Limo rolls up 830 the next morning. Keep in mind, this is my very first experience in the NFL. Out this the doesn't limo,
1: sound like a typical rookie experience, by the way. No,
2: no. Out of the limo comes Jim Kelly, Joe Montana, Dan Marino, Thurman Thomas, Daryl Talley, Bruce Smith, Drew Bledsoe, Jason Taylor. Uh, Chris McDonald, the actor, Shooter McGavin. Uh, and they're all in this limo going to the event. And I was like, and then I just did a bunch of stuff for all those guys. And uh, it was star, man. It was awesome. You know, it, it's one of those things where two professions that I'm sure so many people in my life said he's not going to make any money playing football. And he's sure as heck not going to make any money being a magician. Like, who's going to want to date this guy? You know what I mean? Loser. Uh, and now all of a sudden, both of them together is what separated me my whole life. And even when I come across actors, right? There's a lot of actors that are big Eagles fans. And I was always welcomed and, and like, you got to come to the VIP after party. You got to do the magic for so-and-so and so-and-so. And I was like, dude, heck yeah. But I was always the NFL guy. So they, actors want to be NFL guys. NFL guys want to be actors. And it was just, and then I was a card trick guy. So it, it separated me in, in a crowd of many.
1: Well, you, you have, just, just so everyone knows, Mike Tolan, who has been on this show, uh, who did the last, one of the producers of The Last Dance, has, has the rights, I believe, to your story now if you had your choice who would you want to play you and second do you want to be in that movie too oh
2: man you know what there's a lot um <laughs> look i think chris pratt would be amazing you know miles teller's a philly guy and did an interview that he wants to be a uh, he, he wants to play a philly sports player you know and i know he's a phillies fan but i know he's an eagles fan he wanted to be a philadelphia athlete you know i think miles teller would be cool um i buddies with john krasinski like i think krasinski would be cool you know i don't know when when you talked to mike last but the script is amazing so john gatins wrote it um he wrote flight with denzel and if i can can i can i share just the synopsis yeah uh so the, the the basic premise is uh so i'm the third character in my own movie which i already like that i think that's really cool uh there's a guy in new york and he's kind of a distant dad rich guy and his company he was losing his company from underneath him and so his company said let's bring in Dornboss, let's bring in Dornboss. like he's just motivational to death. and they gave him my book and the guy's like dude what is this clown like what do you guys want to bring in a magician are you serious right now this is a joke he goes home his ex-wife's leaving to get married his daughter comes to stay with him who he's not really a good dad teenage daughter teenage daughter sees my book in the dad's bag and says oh my gosh like are you going to work with Dornboss? Like, I loved him on AGT. I read his book. Dad, you have to read this book. This guy's a clown show, dude. He's a clown. But he doesn't read it. He ends up going to work the next day and the the daughter uh, tries to commit suicide in his apartment in New York when he's at work. So now, all of a sudden the daughter's in a coma in the hospital. And the dad gets the call, so the dad rushes down to the hospital and he's sitting at the bedside of his daughter, and he looks over and sees the book in his bag. And he reads my book to his daughter while she's in a coma. And so my life story is kind of told Princess Bride, you know, where the grandpa reads the the book to the kid. And now the story is really about those two and how they kind of come to terms with what the reality is, what the past is and what the future might be all in the context of reading my book. And it's man, it's amazing. I'm super proud of it.
0: It sounds just as powerful as your actual life story uh which is kind of difficult to to fathom you could do that uh the show is this saturday night at live casino tell our listeners what they can expect if they see you to get their tickets and uh, are you expecting an eagles chant
2: yeah right so it, it's it's still funny so every theater i go to it's like 40 percent eagles fans even out of state and they all do the Eagles chant as soon as I walk out and it's just like, hey, just so you know, like let's just say we're in Kansas City, right? Just so you know, uh, the other 60% of this theater hate all of you and <laughs> I and I love you, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, Especially Dallas. Yeah, oh, yeah, right, oh, Dallas, they go hardcore there. Like they're even louder, right, because it's Dallas. Uh, Ray, real quick, uh, to go back, you said Mike Tolan. Here's what's really cool about this. Um, I believe this and I've never met anybody. And I'm not trying to sound like that guy right now, but I guess I am. Um, You come across life and you come across people. Uh, I'm really good at manifesting things in my life and you got to believe it. you got to taste it, smell it, hear it. you got to talk to yourself about it. You got to let the world know through energy and just believing and showing up every day on time, prepared and ready to work, that that's the direction you're headed and the world again, right? Don't give up on the world. The world's not going to give up on you. And so, my buddy was doing a movie called radio he was number three on the call sheet his name was Riley Smith and radio was with Ed Harris Cuba Gooding Jr. and my buddy Riley and at the time my buddy goes "Yo, you got to meet our our producer director he's like you know from Philly he's a huge Philly guy his name's Mike Tolan and so my buddy Riley connects Mike and I that's when we first met and my buddy Riley was like yo dude they got to do a movie on your life like Tolan has to do it like you got to get Tolan to do a a movie and at that moment I said you know what there's nobody else I want to do my movie than Tolan and so we just kind of and it got brought up a couple times and then we had a friend and then as my life kept progressing he kind of came up to me one day and he goes hey man uh, what do you think about doing a movie on your life he goes but I need a third act like I I get where we're at but I just need a third act and then all of a sudden when he said that I got traded right right after I broke tied the record for 162 straight games I got traded to the saints went into open heart surgery wife got pregnant and I went to go forgive my dad and Tolan called me and goes okay I think we got the third act (laughs) you know what I mean so but he was the only one that I ever wanted to do it. And sure enough, here we are. Um, Did you really need to
1: get it? sick for a third act, though? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, we, we get that you do things, everything 100% full speed ahead. But you couldn't have come up with like a third act that would have been a little less dramatic.
2: I know, right? You know, I just thought, hey, go big, go home.
0: Well, uh, we, we're glad you went big, told the story, and gave us a few minutes to hear all about it. Uh, encourage everybody to go see you this Saturday Night at Live Casino. Uh, John Dorenboss, thanks so much for the time and for everything you do, uh, inspiring some other people to... To see the light a little bit every day
2: yeah hey you guys are rock stars thanks for having me and for those that uh, want to come out on saturday night i promise you i I read a quote when i was getting into performing and i forgot who it was and i'm so embarrassed Uh, but it was basically like they're not going to remember what you say they're not going to remember what you did but they're going to remember the way you made them feel and so when you come to my show i tell you this my three influences are garth brooks carrot top and mike tyson garth brooks because if you've never seen him on stage when you watch him you feel like you're the only one there and you feel like it's the first and last show he'll ever do and he's giving you everything he has. Carrot Top, there's nobody more genius at just music sound bites and just quick hitters that just pop in the show to keep your attention, right? And then Mike Tyson, if you haven't seen Mike Tyson's one man show, I've never seen the most feared man in the world, right? be more self-deprecating, funny, and vulnerable. So it's all of those mixed up. I hope that you're going to come to the show. I hope that you're going to laugh. You're going to be amazed with amazing magic. But I also hope that you're going to sit there and maybe reflect on one or two things. They might be little, or they might be big in your life. And you're going to leave feeling better about yourself and the world around you. And hopefully feel inspired to make the, the right change in your life, whether it's big or small. Uh, and that's that's my goal. And, I, and we've been successful doing it. So life is magic. I appreciate you all having me live casino this Saturday, eight o'clock, baby. You ain't there. I'll say it again. You're wrong, baby.
0: That's the best pitch we can get. John Dorenbos. Have a great one. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. Operating engineers
1: are the men and women that move mountains. And the engineers labor employer cooperative,
2: ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. All right.
0: Welcome to the show, Michael and Kevin, the Bacon Brothers. Guys, thanks so much for the time today. Pleasure. Thank you. So the fun thing is we get to do research for these interviews. You guys, your family's a fabric of Philadelphia. What's it like? growing up with your dad being known as the father father of modern Philadelphia, Michael, what's the city mean to you guys?
3: Uh, Well, first of all, uh, we grew up in Philadelphia, we spent our entire childhood. um, So it's very, very formative. And I've noticed recently, as I'm getting older, my affections have increased for that final city. But uh, one thing that's interesting, you mentioned our dad, Philadelphia is in one place where I am Ed Bacon's son and not Kevin Bacon's brother. So um, it's, (laughs) it's amazing when um, when our father was alive, he'd walk down the street with him. People would just come constantly. Ed, oh, you're so wonderful. I love you. So uh, yeah, I also have a um, house out in Chester County. So uh, I get into Philadelphia a lot more. And, uh, you know, the older, like I said, the older I get, the more I like it.
4: Love it.
1: You know, um, not only is it are you guys a fabric of Philadelphia, but even some of your songs and the name of one of your albums is Philadelphia-based. How did you come up with the name Philadelphia Chickens? What was the inspiration for that?
4: We didn't even write that song. That's <laughs> interesting. Uh, that was a song that was uh, written by Sandy Boynton and uh, her writing partner, who I his name escapes me, Michael something, and and uh, she was doing uh, one of her children's books. Uh, and I think it's, it's been quite a long time uh, in the past. There's there's um, some kind of charitable component. And I remember when I listened to the song, Philadelphia Chickens, I mean, I thought it was a funny title, but I also thought this song is like a big band swing kind of thing there's no way that this is going to be a kids song like the, and uh, to my uh, utter uh disappointment it still remains like the number one bacon brothers song on <laughs> That's what... i'm like this is like i really don't want these kids songs to be that it's i don't know it I, you know you 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 pour your heart for years into trying to make you know some music that you know actually mean something to you and you just can't get we just can't get past the philadelphia chickens
1: well you can with some of us because one <laughs> of my favorites is old guitars and, and and when you hear that song you think of all the people that are an inspiration the songs that are inspiration how did you guys come up with that one
4: i you know i don't know that was one of mine you know uh, uh it it was um i think i was trying to see how many uh iconic rock musicians and songs i could cramp into one tune i think it was 43 references or something like that and um yeah it's funny we we still do it live every once in a while although it was off of our first record wasn't it mike i think it was yeah that was i believe our very very first single yeah first single yeah um you know uh it's it it taxes my 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 you know uh, uh um memory to to try to remember all those words.
0: Michael, you're the the one who followed the musical path first while Kevin was acting. You're the composer. You were playing in bands before the Bacon Brothers. You also write music for film and and TVs. Tell us about your journey through the the field to get to where you are with the band.
3: Uh, Well, I started out as a singer-songwriter at a pretty young age. I learned how to play all the all the fretted instruments, folk instruments. I also played the cello and later the oboe. So I had a very rich kind of background in music. Um, and when I got to college, I was in a cover band that did English, uh, English invasion kinds of things, mostly stone spiel, that sort of thing. And um, so then I was in it very early in Philadelphia. I was, I think I was 19. I joined a group called Good News, which was myself and my partner, Larry Gold, who ended up being a real force in uh, a lot of hip hop and, and R&B as a string arranger and had a studio in Philadelphia for many years. And then that group broke up. I got married and I moved to Nashville and I became a staff writer at Combine Music, which is a legendary uh, publishing company down here. And I signed with Monument Records, had two records out with that, and moved back up East and uh, put my guitars and my PA system in a little red rabbit and drove right into the disco era. And at that (laughs) time, um, my wife got pregnant and it was like, uh, all of a sudden it was a light bulb went off. I mean, I have to actually provide. Um, So we moved to New York in hopes of, I I would be a jingle singer, singer and writer when that was exploding at that time. And the work that came to me was film scoring. And um, it's, you know, there's, there are very few people in the world that get to absolutely choose exactly what they want to do and have someone pay them for it. So the film scoring kind of came in um, and it turned out I was good at, it, and I got more work and more work and had gave my rock and roll superstar dream up and then in i think it was 94 my brother and i just sort of on a serendipitous moment decided to put the band together and for one gig and we did and all of a sudden as it started rolling forward my dream came back i haven't gotten there yet but uh the only hit i've ever had is philadelphia chickens but i'm hoping we can (laughs) eclipse that at some point or other though i do love
0: it comes back to philadelphia chickens yeah
3: (laughs) you know parents will come up and they'll they'll Philadelphia chickens are kind of going, their eyes are kind of rolled because they probably heard it 7,000 times when their kids were growing up. So, how,
1: how much fun is it for you guys to, to perform together as brothers, as people who grew up together?
4: Uh, the performing is the fun, you know. Uh, the, I think that the, um, the the other stuff is the thing that, that, that you get cut tired of, you know, the, the road um the uh you know travel especially you know these days it's very very challenging trying to get someplace and, and get someplace and stay healthy enough to get to the next place you know that's a that's a real um a, a challenge uh but we almost always love the show you know when we finally make it and we're finally standing you know in the wings and ready to go on it is a it's a lot of fun we we we're not a band that um you know stands up there and goes wow this is such a bummer for us you know do we have to play for you we're kind of like the opposite we like to we like to leave it on the stage
1: what's it like when you get to play close to home you know we we know on August 2nd you're going to be in Ocean City Uh, people around here are going to be excited what's it like for you to to come home and play in front of the hometown crowd
3: well we did a club in Ardmore uh, recently which was really really great that's a relatively new club I think it's called the Ardmore Music Hall. But right. the Ocean City gig is really fun. We must, have, we must have done Ocean City 10 times now and it's on this pier that's literally right into the ocean. And you get on stage and you look out at the Atlantic Ocean and it's uh, Ocean City's really a, a fun kind of uh, warm town and uh,
1: back.
4: Yeah, it really is. And um, you got cross the boardwalk to get into the venue. The funny thing about the venue also is that the band has this amazing view of the ocean, but the audience only has the view of the band. <laughs> uh, but, it, but it's it, like a detriment. It, yeah, yeah. But we you know, I mean, I know it's not, I know it's not Philly, but you know, it, it a lot of. New Jersey is Philly adjacent. We and we've just our 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 motto was just that we've never had a bad gig in New Jersey.
0: Tell us about your style of music. You have your eleventh release out, errado, but but your style is sort of a blend of rock and soul and country. I've seen Ferrasco. Where does that come from? And and what's the process of? It seems like you guys like songwriting as much as you like performing.
3: Yeah, the it's interesting. We our first um, record, we decided to a brilliant promotional technique and make it an unpronounceable word um, and you, <laughs> did, you, did you, Jason I, pronounce I, it wrong I do it okay? <laughs> Oh, Rossoco. But how would you know? Oh. Okay. Kevin is, is a very clever man. And he, so he took folk rock, soul country, made it, you know, switched it into a word for Rossoco. But it really is very accurate because first of all, we're the two writers in the band. I have a, a different musical experience. I'm nine years older. Um, and it's when you have the two writers and then the, the, the legacy of how many years I've been in the business. Um, I made my first record in 1969. So I i I was pre any technology, uh, you know, digital technology. So I, my career has gone through all of those things with the adjunct of the film scoring on the side. Um, but I think the thing that Kevin and I feel really strongly about is we are, uh, Above all, songwriters, and we didn't sit down and say, "Let's start a band that has a certain sound," you know, uh, glam rock or or hip hop or classic go. Thing. disco. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so what we go is we write a song, and if we think it's if our wives approve the song and say yes, you can play that, um, we would let the song drive the arrangement. So sometimes we have things where I'm playing acoustic guitar and somebody's playing mandolin, Kevin's playing harmonica, and it's very very intimate. And then we have um, another another uh, song the Kevin wrote, which is a great song called and has to do with Philadelphia as well. It's called British Invasion, and that's that's pretty pretty hard rock. So um, it's everything in between. And it's whatever we feel the best um, environment for the song that we wrote to put it across to an audience and have them understand it and hopefully like it.
1: What's the process for when you're writing these songs? Do you sit in a room together and write them and you go back and forth and and is it fun? Uh, We don't write that much together. Um,
4: We kind of started out that way. But you know, I don't know, we just have, you know, basically, Mike can write in demo in his studio, and I can do the same. So we 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 tend to write things separately, then kind of share them with each other and, and start to get uh, input. You know, a lot of times the input will be in an arrangement or uh, in in uh, vocals or or you know a vibe or or nothing at all. You know, sometimes we just go down, done. That's great. Um, we have recently done a little bit more writing with other people, which are actual writing sessions. And those are really interesting because they're, I mean, you can imagine that's kind of an awkward thing, especially if you don't know somebody. Everybody that we've written with, we didn't know at all. Like, that didn't know anything. I mean, we could get links to their other music and stuff like that, but we didn't know anything about them personally. So you just kind of go into this room and you sit down and you just kind of start shooting them. The, the breeze and, and try to come up with something. And that's a pretty uh, a potentially awkward kind of situation, but it's really cool when you actually walk away and you go, wow, we got a song, you know? They're not always great songs necessarily, but there is a song there. And that's kind of a nice, uh, we, we've been enjoying that. Yeah, we, do, we wrote a song with Desmond Child, who is, as you guys know, he's like a giant
3: of the giants. And uh, as a pure songwriter, there aren't too many people who who are in, in his category. And uh, we had a writing session arranged with him and we spent two days in his apartment in New York and cranked out a song which became our first single um, in memory of When I Cared. So um, that that's a really different way of songwriting. I mean, we are, what i describe as confessional we go um oh today i twisted my ankle and then um you write the song oh the twisted ankle day you know you, it becomes a personal thing was that title name? bro hold on to that
4: yeah I, oh i got it <laughs> <laughs> so like the best we- jeff's a
0: copyright and trademark attorney um, <laughs> we're not doing the show so if you need any help with that title a lot. all in- right we thanks up.
4: jason <laughs> <laughs> Uh, then he should know that I don't think you can copyright a title, can you?
0: That's <laughs> no. why he's the attorney. And I'm the one who just plays something on the radio. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so we had an interesting
3: session the uh, day before yesterday. We're in Nashville. I'm in Nashville. We just played a gig down here at City Winery. And we had a writing session with a married couple and both neither of whom we knew. And you just and you meet them and they're going, well, I don't know. What are these guys? What's the vibe and they're Everybody's kind of careful uh, is everybody comfortable? Is, you know, is everybody uh, feel comfortable to, to uh, contribute? And it turned out to be really good. And we cranked out a song in about three hours and, um, uh, Brett sent us a demo that night at 11 o'clock. Um, and we're, you know, that song is now, you know, we're starting to crank, crank it out, figure out how to arrange. So that that's been really fun and very different for us.
2: So
0: I did want to ask, we like when we have athletes and artists song. we like to talk about how they use their platform to give back to the community. Kevin, I understand you didn't initially like the Six Degrees uh, thing that they did, but you've sort of embraced it and raised $5 million with it to help and give back to everything from community community development, education, health and arts. Can you talk about sort of coming around to it Why you didn't like it, but then how you've been able to utilize it to galvanize and help people?
4: Well, it was just really, I thought that it was a joke at at my expense, you know, and and it was, you know... I've always been kind of fundamentally resistant of things that would... I mean you you'd be hard, I mean you'd be surprised to hear this but that would put me sort of into pop culture in a way. You know, I I I had a very very lofty ideal about just being an actor for the sake of the craft of acting and not to be a personality. And when when I when I became a a, a famous actor, all of a sudden there was all this other, you know, BS that I just wasn't really into, you know. And, and, and so Six Degrees, I kind of felt like I was starting to now be, you know, a respected actor. And all of a sudden this kind of thing came along. This is really about pop culture and it kind of bummed me out. But that being said, just kind of decided to embrace it. And I was looking at other, um, you know, c- celebrities who had done some positive work, you know, of a charitable nature. And I was trying to think what I could be branded in the same way that, you know, Paul Newman was with, with tomato sauce and popcorn and um so we started to put this thing together and we actually have something that we're very excited about and I'll, I'll just tease it but it's a hundred percent Philly based and um, so it's a it's a it's gonna be a song and a little behind-the-scenes video and a video involves a lot of Philadelphia uh, not only uh, people from entertainment but also from sports um, it's uh, it's gonna hopefully raise some money and some awareness for a really cool organization called rock to the future which is a, a Philly based organization where they put instruments and music lessons and and recording opportunities into the hands of underserved youth and in philly so we're you know that'll be a uh that's that's a, a six degrees effort
1: you know before we let you go i know jason has a sports question for you but before we let you go if you had to pick i know you're evolving i know you're going to continue to make music for years to come but if you had to choose each of you what song best defines you that you've done which would it be
3: also with that is the song i wrote last year maybe the year before it's called the way we love and it's just kind of it's one of those times where well, it's maybe the only time where I go, I just really captured like 50 year relationship in a three minute song. And I'm very proud of that. And, um, you know, I think people respond to it and um, it's really fun to sing. And I don't know. That's it. The way we love.
1: And I just just wanted to. Wait, wait, Kevin, right. what's yours?
4: Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the way we love is a is a really good example of us. Um, I don't know. Uh, Let's go with that one. Uh, there you go, Jeff.
0: You put him on the spot. Uh, I did want to ask before you go, we are a sports show. Kevin, I saw you were more of a street sports, you know, football, football growing up until you got into basketball. But you were tweeting when the Eagles were on their Super Bowl run and I was losing my mind in my living room. Uh, what's sports mean to you guys?
4: Well, I mean, I think it's, I feel very, I feel very, very happy for the city of Philadelphia, whenever a Philadelphia team is um uh doing well it's just um i don't know it means so much to the to people and you know you you see what that was like with the eagles um maybe it went a little too far but we would never maybe the go, went a little too far
0: yes but, the giants but, fan on the show we would never go too far
4: we never go too far of course yeah <laughs> but that's but that's but that's part of uh, that's part of the, the philly the, the inexplicable philly sports thing so yeah i mean it's 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 awesome
0: michael any soundtracks ever for for sports you've been able to do
4: oh uh, yeah i've i've done some stuff for
3: espn um but um one thing is kind of interesting kevin's ma- mentioned the eagles um before the Eagles won the Super Bowl, there was the controversy about the building higher than William Penn.
0: We'll
3: uh-huh. call it William Penn's curse. Some some people call it the Ed Bacon curse, because when that building went taller than William Penn's hat, our father was devastated.
4: Really? Yeah, he lost his mind. Yeah, he, uh, mind. Yeah, he Lord Rouse, uh, right.
3: was just, you know, the pariah of the century. And, um, you know, I almost feel <laughs> like... Uh, somehow my father's curse wasn't quite strong enough because Eagles came through but boy he tried.
0: He, he wasn't able to stop it for us. So, like, even even
3: said- all that. The other thing I was going to ask you guys is do you follow the Tour de France at all? Yeah. A little bit, yeah. Because that's my, you know, I mean July I'm a basket case. I used to race bicycles so I know the pain uh, in the faces and I identify and I just love that just the craziness that they have that. An hour ahead of it they have the um, all these crazy cards and they throw things out at the fans and it's just, it's there's no <laughs> (laughs) sporting event like
0: have you been there to see it in person oh that's on my bucket list mike
4: Mike, if you had stuck with it you you might have been the first philadelphian to win the tour de france yeah Look, Jeff's trying to pick up Pickleball.
0: so There
1: there is still time. (laughs) (laughs) Don't give up your dream.
0: We cannot thank you enough for the time. If our listeners want to get more information, want to get tickets for the upcoming shows, go to BaconBros.com. Best of luck with the new EP. Best of luck with everything going on. And you guys take care of yourself.
1: Thanks a lot, you guys. You were great. It's really been fun. Thanks Uh, a lot, guys. Thanks so much, guys. (laughs) How much fun was it to just sit there and talk to Kevin Bacon and his brother, also talk to John Dorenbos during this year? I am so thankful for doing the show with you.
0: Without a doubt. And it's so much fun to be able to revisit these conversations, the thing we learn. We'll be back next week with a full show, new guests. Keep it going. Jeff, let's let's keep the fun going. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.